0: Welcome to the New Hope Podcast. Our mission at New Hope is to engage our city with the love of Jesus, one relationship at a time. We pray this message encourages you in encountering God's love and displaying it to your city. We hope to see you soon. And if you have your Bibles... Would you turn with me to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, uh, primarily Genesis chapter 2. Um, It's at uh, the beginning of the Bible. Uh, If you do not have a Bible, I want to encourage you to... Uh, Grab your phone, or even better yet, look in the seat back in front of you. Uh, There are a few different colors, but if you grab one of the black hardback Bibles, that is the English Standard Version, that is the version I'm reading from, and it might be easiest to follow along uh, if you're following along in the same version. Hey, as way of introduction, let me just simply say uh, it is good to uh, be back. For those uh, who aren't aware, I was had the privilege of just taking vacation through the month of August. Um, it was just a great opportunity for rest, a great opportunity to spend time with family um, and just uh, breathe a moment. Uh, I've been preaching as a pastor for coming up on 13 years and I've never in that 13 years from the time I started have had four weeks where I did not I did not preach a sermon. And so just to be able to take four weeks, and don't get me wrong, I love preaching, so I'm grateful that that's not the norm. However, just to take four weeks and be able to read God's Word and study God's Word with not at all having a teaching in mind, which is a special moment for me as a pastor that I don't have that privilege much, and in that time... Uh, it's just a great time of refreshment, great time the Lord's speaking and encouraging me. And so I just want to say thank you, church family, for giving me that opportunity. And thank you for those who stood in my place during that time and, pre- and preached and opened God's word. Uh, thankful for those uh, who did that. Um, as we jump into today's sermon, we're continuing in a series that we've been on and off again throughout the year, uh, going through our church values. We have six values as a church, and we just want to walk through those Uh, bit by bit. We didn't want to do a really long series, and so we're just kind of coming in and talking about them and then coming back out. That way, we have opportunity to marinate on them and find ways to not just teach on them, but have them continue to be involved in every part of our church. And so value number one we talked about at the beginning of the year was reading Scripture. Meaning that we turn to the Bible as our ultimate guide for life and truth. We believe that God's Word is authoritative. And so what we mean by reading, that means we read it, we study it, we memorize it, we allow it to be the centerpiece of our times of worship. So we start our worship gatherings by reading Scripture. We study Scripture, and then we end our worship gatherings with Scripture. We read uh, on an ongoing basis through the Bible. Second value is relentless prayer. We want to be a church that comes to God's um, mercy in prayer, meaning we pray in moments of need, but we also pray as a form of adoration and worship. Let us be a people who begin and end everything in prayer. Then we talked about radical hospitality. We talked about hospitality, we defined it in a way of not just Meaning that we are, literally the word is defined as welcoming of strangers. We hope that is true. We hope that if you're a guest that you feel welcomed, not only in this time, but in our homes and in our locations. Radical hospitality, we define it that way, but we also talk about generosity. In order to be hospitable to our community, in order to be hospitable to those around us, hospitality takes on sacrifices of time, of energy, and of resources, and so we are radically generous and radically hospitable. And the value number four we're going to spend a few weeks on in the coming weeks, beginning this week, is relational discipleship. Relational discipleship, defined this way. At New Hope, we intentionally invest time and energy to help others follow Jesus. Discipleship, we'll unpack in the weeks to come more intentionally, but it is that. We are helping people follow Jesus. In the Great Commission, Jesus says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I command you. Meaning, teach them to be obedient followers of me. And so relational discipleship is we intentionally invest time and energy to help others follow Jesus. This is demonstrated in three particular ways. First, is that this means for us, what we mean by this, is that everyone, we believe that everyone in our church should be mentored by someone and should be mentoring someone else. We think to be at the core and the part of our church that relational discipleship speaks heavy on the relationship side, that there are relationships in our life where people are intentionally pouring into us and we are intentionally pouring into others. Relational discipleship, relational, is a qualifier. You could say other forms of discipleship. For example, programmatic discipleship. But we say relational discipleship because we want to emphasize the relationship and the need for living life with others in the discipleship process. Because oftentimes discipleship is just thought of as knowledge. Let me teach you something, although that's important. We teach gospel truths, but we do that through life-on-life relationships, hence relational discipleship. So it's demonstrated by being mentored by someone and mentoring someone else. Second, it's living life with others through community groups. We think that part of living out this value is that you're involved in a community group. Why? Because that's often where the life and relationships within our church take place. We need to be in a community of believers living life with them. And then thirdly, I simply say it this way. It's having 2 a.m. friends to call. What do you mean by that? What does it mean to have 2 a.m. friends? we talked about this before. But imagine you're in a situation and you're in a need at 2 o'clock in the morning Who are the people that's coming to your mind that you're going to call? We believe that we should have people like that in our church, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we can call at any time for any reason, and we know that they're there for us, but not only because they love Jesus, but they love us, and they care about what's going on in our lives. We're going to spend probably three weeks on this value, and we're going to talk through those different demonstrated buys. but I want to focus on the last one, having 2 a.m. friends to call. The question that I want to get as we come to the, today's specific sermon, that was an introduction to the series, now as we talk about relational discipleship with the emphasis on relationship and those 2 a.m. friends and within this sermon, is how do we cultivate those type of friends? Right? How, how do we cultivate friends like that? Here's the main point of today's sermon that I want to give, and then I will argue it as we turn to Genesis chapter 2, and then we'll turn to Ephesians as well at a certain point. But here's the main point simply of today's sermon that apart from relationships, apart from relationships, we deny our humanity and neglect to glorify God. Apart from relationships, and better yet, apart from biblical relationships, We deny our humanity, meaning we deny how God had created us, and we neglect to glorify God. So the argument is simply as this, is that God has created us for those relationships. It's intrinsic in how he's created us. And if we desire to glorify God, we must recognize that that is done through it's relationships, and we'll talk about those different things. So we need to look at a biblical lens for relationships and understand relationships in order to defend that main point today. And so truth number one is simply this. You and I were made for relationships. To say that apart from relationships, we deny our humanity, it must first go with God has created us within our humanity and who and how he has created us, he has created us Four relationships, Genesis chapter two, looking at verse 18 and following as we walk through today's sermon, Genesis 2:18. Then the Lord God said, "It is not good that man should be alone. So Paul's quick context, God has already created Adam, and he has yet to create Eve. And we're in this part of the conversation. So, just Adam has been created at this point. God has only breathed life into Adam. It says, And the Lord God said, 'It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him.' Now, fully understanding the truth of this text and the truth of the point I'm making that we were made for relationships, it's, a, it's important that we understand fully what helper means. If we were to give a study of that specific word and how it is used all throughout the Old Testament, we'll come to find that helper is not the idea of a servant, but helper gives the idea of a partner. Big difference. See, it's not that Adam is just so busy and he has so much work to do that he needs more, that he needs someone to come help him with his work, so he goes and hires an intern or someone else to come and help him with his labor. It's not someone who works under him, and it's not someone who just because of a need that he personally has in the tasks that he goes and gets a helper to come help him with his labor. But it's a picture of a partner. It's a picture of someone who kind of gives this idea of completeness and wholeness. And so God says, I will create a partner for him, giving the idea that he is, in and of himself, incomplete, That this is not fully how God has intended for Adam to live. And so what does he do? Verse 19. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens. And then he what? Brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever man called him, every living creature, that was its name. Now the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam... There was not found a helper fit for him. There was not a partner. There was not one of his kind. Recognizing as God had created all the beasts of the fields and all these things, he's created all these animals, and then what does he do? He brings them to Adam so that Adam names them. There's a lot of truth in recognizing that Adam has been entrusted with authority over these creations, but also through the process, he's beginning to notice hey, they go together, and they go together, and they go together. I mean, that bird has different feathers, but it's still a bird, and I can see these categories, and I can see this. And, but I'm beginning to recognize there is no one like me, which speaks to a few things. One, it speaks to the reality that Genesis 1 says that we are made in the image of God in a way that no other part of his creation is. But it also in the process is showing Adam that he is incomplete. There is a part of him that is missing. There is no one else like him and that he needs. And so as he recognizes that need, God steps in and meets the need. So verse 21, so the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib of the Lord that God had taken from the man, he made it into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is at last bone of my bones. Recognize this. He's saying, this is this is like me. This, he doesn't say helper in the sense of, good, I'm glad I have someone else for some labor to help me along. No, he's beginning to recognize this is someone who is of a kind of him. That's of the same idea and of, it has the same creation idea as him. This is at last bone of my bones. This is of me and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken of man. She was a kind of man. And therefore... Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, there are two pictures quickly I want us to see. One, if I was doing a, uh, a sermon on God's creation of marriage, I would use the same text. But just because we see a picture of this being the first marriage that was designed by God, it's also a picture of recognizing that not only is it just a picture of Adam and Eve, and we come to it foundationally on marriage, but it's more than that, a picture of the need for Adam in relationships. It's the need to recognize that Adam is incomplete apart from the woman. And every wife was like, that's right, you know, that's true for you men. But it was, so it's a picture of marriage, but it's a picture of greater relationships. And let me begin to unpack this a little bit more. Genesis 1 27. Let's flip there. Let's just flip back, maybe, in your Bible. It said this, or actually, let me back up to verse 26. Genesis 1 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. It's important that we understand a little bit about what Scripture teaches about God to make my point here. Is that we understand that the God that we worship in the Bible? is one God in three persons. We understand that it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That they are three persons, yet they are one God. It's, it's called the Trinity. And yes, it's as confusing as it sounds but it is as faithfully accurate to Scripture. And so it's interesting that what? God said what? Let us make man in our image. And the first time that He's using this plurality and reference, He talks about it in in the image of Adam. In the image of mankind, let us... The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as one God, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And so, what does it mean to be made in the image of God and after His likeness? It means a lot of things, but for today, for the sake of today's conversation, let us emphasize the reality of plurality and oneness altogether. That it's. It's not God the Father by himself, and God the Son by himself, and God the Holy Spirit by himself, but it's them together. There is a perfect relationship and unity together. And so it's interesting that not only does Adam, because he is made in the image of God, also need that relationship and perfect unity in one. So what happens? God creates the woman, this marriage takes place, and they become one flesh. Do you understand it's two persons recognized in one flesh? He's saying that it's now in this relationship, in this union, that we are seeing a beautiful picture of the plurality of God and the oneness of God in this covenantal relationship. It is in this idea of relationship to which God has created us. He has created us to have relationship with others in marriage and in other types of relationship. God has created those relationships between us and others, and God has created that relationship between us and him. And so it's because that's how God has made us that that is how we are to ultimately live. So truth number one, we were made for relationships. I don't know um, about you, but one of my favorite TV shows is a TV show called Alone. And I think I've used a similar illustration or at least referenced this TV show before. Uh, If you have not watched it, um, I actually don't know how you watch it. It flips back and forth between Hulu and maybe some other things. I don't really know. Um, Netflix, okay. Um, But you should check it out. For no other reason, um, it's literally they're alone. It takes survival experts, it puts them out in the dangerous wilderness with only a limited amount of supplies, and it says, see who can survive the longest alone. And they can, at any point in time, push a little button and tap out, and they'll come and pick them up. There's no camera crew, they're there by themselves. They have to survive and film themselves surviving. Imagine surviving on your own is hard enough, but then you've got to film yourself surviving. But if you're the last person standing, you win a million bucks. Now you got to understand something. As I watch this show, there's there's this common trend that takes place. The common trend is kind of goes along this way. The people who tap out first usually tap out for one of two reasons. One, because they lost an important piece of their equipment. that that is a necessity for them to survive. Oftentimes, they lose whatever they chose to bring along with them to create fire. And if they don't have fire in the winter, they can't do a lot of things. They can't stay warm. They can't purify their water. They can't cook their food. And so they're like, well, look, if I can't make fire, I just might as well tap out. So oftentimes, they lose something, or it's an incompetency in their training. So maybe they're not as trained as they thought, and they run into something. They can't solve the problem. But for the most part, these are professional survival experts and so a lot of them have the training and so 10 days go by 20 days go by 30 days go by and then you begin to see people to the out. there's only 10 in each season and so you usually have one two or three tap out early for, because they lost something but then the others begin to tap out and it's usually related to loneliness they're alone they, they've conquered a lot of times they've conquered food They've conquered shelter. They've done what they need. They have food lined up for days. I remember seeing a guy who had, who had gotten more food almost than any part of certain seasons. I'm like, man, this dude's going to last for, he could last a year. And he, he quits with food hanging up in his shelter. Why? Because he was lonely. He was lonely. I, I don't care how introverted you are, because I'm pretty introverted. But I don't care how introverted you are. There comes a moment where you recognize I can't live this way. Why? Because God has created all of us for these relationships. He's created us for these relationships. But, but truth number two, and here's the problem, sin has affected every one of our relationships. Sin has affected every one of our relationships. Genesis chapter 3, a passage we've studied in depth in, in years past, but Genesis 3 uh, we recognize Adam and Eve's sin against God, and there's a brokenness that becomes. And there are two types of overall brokenness that I want to highlight, and I want to pick it up in Genesis 3, 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. All right, so they recognize uh, their guilt and their shame, which is represented in their nakedness. And so what happens in Verse 8. Then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They had been able to walk in great relationship with God, but all of a sudden, because of their sin, the relationship between them and God was broken, and they hid themselves. And we recognize that the first and foremost relationship that God had created us to was relationship to himself. And then relationship to others, but because our relationship to God was broken in sin, it broke that relationship with God. But then it went on to break our relationship with others in this world. Look at verse nine. But the Lord God called to the man Genesis three nine, and the man said, to, or he said to call to the man, and he said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I command you not to eat? And look what the man says. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. He blames the woman. I mean, this was, this was, this was the first like marriage fight. Here's this moment. They had a great relationship with God. They had a great relationship with one another. But because of sin, the relationship with God was broken and the relationship with one another was broken. They begin to play the blame game, and then we come to a phrase that I'm going to highlight just quickly in Genesis 3, verse 15, or excuse me, verse 16. The end of Genesis three sixteen. it says this, God speaking to the woman said, Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. What does that mean? There's a lot of debates between pastors and theologians on exactly what that phrase means. But when we don't fully understand what a phrase means in a specific context, we try to find that phrase in Scripture in other places to see if we have a better understanding of how it's used, which will help us understand how it's used here in Genesis 3. Well, there's one other time that exact phrase is used, and it's used in Genesis chapter 4. Genesis 4, 6, the Lord said, Where, uh, Why are you angry and why is your face fallen? Can't go over why he's angry. But he, God says to him this, If you do well, will it not be accepted? And if you do not well, do well, sin is crouching at the, at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. In Genesis 4, it's easier, a little easier to understand what's going on. That there is a uh, brokenness and a poor relationship between what? Sin and Cain. And the relationship, so the statement... Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Meaning, its desire is not a good thing in what it wants for you. Its desire is to take over you and lead you to sin, which he goes on to do. But God says you must rule over it. Meaning, there's a battle that is taking place between these two things. Which leads to me to interpret Genesis 3.16. That God is saying that because of your, your sin, Adam and Eve... There's going to be a brokenness and oftentimes a battle within relationships. Let me ask this simple question. Why are relationships so hard sometimes? Because relationships are hard. Relationships with neighbors, relationships with coworkers, relationships with people in this church at times, relationships are hard. And here's the simple answer based off Genesis 3 and based off the teachings of Scripture. I'm going to say it in this way because this is how it's just an easy way for me to remember it. But relationships are hard work, and they require hard work because we're all a piece of work. That's a tweetable statement. Go ahead and tweet that. Relationships are hard works because we're all a piece of work. We're all a work in progress. You ever heard? Some of you are looking at me like, what does that mean, a piece of work? You never heard your mom go, man, you're a piece of work or someone or something? Okay, maybe it's a southern thing. I don't really know. But, but it's just a way of going, man, like, you, you know, sometimes you, you're, you're tough to deal with. Right? You're tough to deal with. Why? Because we all are tough to deal with. Why? Because of sin. Meaning that all of us bring our sin and our brokenness into relationships, which oftentimes make relationships really difficult. And then we often respond to that difficulty by running away. We defi- we defi- we, uh, it's kind of the fight or flight is kind of what comes to mind in these moments. A lot of times in those difficulty of relationships, we we turn it into a big fight, or we run away, but the reality is that these moments are going to happen, that because of our issues and because of our sin, all relationships are broken, our relationship with one another is broken, and our relationship with God is broken. I want to read this statement I read in a book in preparation for today's sermon. The author said this the fatal flaw as it relates to relationships, the fatal flaw of human wisdom is thinking we can change our relationships without needing to change ourselves. It's thinking that, oh, I've got a problem in my relationship, and so therefore I just need to deal with all the other issues in my relationship, but what if oftentimes the relationship is ourselves? And the truth of Scripture would teach us that, yeah. We all bring our sins to our relationships. That relationships are hard. Relationships are difficult. And therefore, we have to work through them. But here's truth number three, and this is where hope comes in. That truth number one, God has created us for relationships. Truth number two, sin has destroyed and broken all of our relationships. But truth number three is Jesus redeems every relationship. Yes, you and I need to change Something needs to change in order for our relationships with one another to be restored and our relationship with God to be restored. And so when we look at our brokenness in our relationships... Oftentimes, because I tend to be a runner when it comes to conflict, I tend to be a runner when it comes to fighting and relationships, I often kind of have this thought to come to my mind, why, is it, why, why do we even do it? Maybe I should just join the TV show alone, and maybe I should just go live by myself forever. I, I think sometimes that would be nice, right? Especially living in a busy, busy city where it seems like someone's always honking at you. Sometimes you're just like, I, I want to get away. But why don't we do that? Cuz that oftentimes is my reaction is I just want to run from my problems. Because there's hope that Jesus can change our problems, starting by changing us. That the truth of Jesus is that he redeems our brokenness not only with one another, but first and foremost with himself. Look at Genesis 3:20 20 and 21. The man called his wife's name Eve. Because she was the mother of all living. And look at verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Okay, why did God give them clothes? Why? Because in the story, we recognized that their nakedness was representation of their guilt and shame and brokenness. But the beauty is God comes in and goes, that's all right. I will take care of that. I will cover that up. And in the story of Jesus, he takes our brokenness, and he redeems and he restores, first and foremost, our relationship with himself, and then with others. Ephesians chapter 2, I want to turn there, if you would. This is a passage, once again, that we have studied, but I want us to see it, because it's a, it is literally, Paul is saying what I am saying to, in this sermon. And so I want us to look, I'm not going to read the whole thing, let me flip to it, sorry. All right. Ephesians chapter 2. We understand. I'm just going to pick up in verse 4. Let me back up. Ephesians 2 verse 1. We see that you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. He's saying you were broken in your sin, but praise be to God. Look at verse 4. But God Being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, we were broken, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show to you the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. Paul is laying out a beautiful picture of the gospel that even in our sin, even in our brokenness, even in our death, Jesus loved us, gave his life for us, and because of his sacrifice, through faith and grace, we are made alive with him. What? Our relationship with him, which was broken, has now been restored. It's a beautiful picture. That God created us for a relationship with himself and others. Sin broke that relationship, but Jesus has redeemed every relationship, starting with our relationship with him. But then he doesn't end there. Look at verse 11 and following. Let me skip to verse 13, because now he transitions in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. He talks about how Jesus redeems our relationship with God. Now in uh, Ephesians 2, 11 and following, he talks about how God Redeems our relationship with others. But now in Christ Jesus, verse 13 of chapter 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinance that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, making peace. Now he's referring to, specifically, the division between Jews and Gentiles. A lot of context here that we're skipping over, but Jews and Gentiles, which was a very broken relationship. Let's just leave it at that. But he's saying because of the grace that we have in Jesus, that dividing wall has been broken down. Now God is making peace. A perfect and reconciled humanity in salvation unto himself. Relationships with one another have been restored in Jesus. So here's where we begin to conclude and wrap things up. Why then should we care about relationships? Because God has created us for relationships And Jesus gave His life for our relationships. Therefore, if we say relationships aren't important and we ignore them and go, I'm not going to fight for them, then what? The main point of the sermon. That apart from those relationships, we're denying how God has created us in our humanity and we neglect to glorify God. Because it was through the person of Jesus that we are redeemed and that we are restored unto one another for the glory of God. That He is making one body for His glory. And therefore, we must be a people who recognize relationships matter. We put a lot of emphasis on that. I've been a part of churches, and I don't mean to be critical, but I just use this for sake of illustration. I've been a part of churches and even larger churches. I came from a church of a few thousand in Mississippi before coming here and I'm grateful for some of the relationships, but I was the discipleship pastor, and so my job was to help people get into discipleship, and the number one problem I faced to do that were people were just really comfortable coming to an auditorium that sat around 2,000 people and just hiding in the crowd. They were good with that. They enjoyed the preaching. They enjoyed the singing, and I'm so grateful for the gathered body, but listen to me. It's really easy in a context like that to come in, sing some songs, study scripture, glorify God, rightfully so, yes, and walk out with nobody knowing your name or knowing anything about you. And I, I just firmly believe, I'm grateful, and there's nothing, I'm not hearing me say there's anything wrong with large churches. right? I'm just simply saying that I recognize, no matter the setting and the context, that it is possible for us to think about discipleship, in a crowd, and miss relationships. And so coming as your pastor, coming into this church, you're hearing me reference relationships a lot for this reason. It's not just a good idea. It's not just me going, well, you know, there's multiple ways to do relationships. We could just create all these Bible studies where people come in and just study Scripture and don't know anything about each other. Or we could do it this way. Well, let's just go with this way because I like that better and it sounds better. no. It's, this isn't a practical preference. This is a theological conviction that God has created us for one another, to care for one another, to walk with one another. And I recognize that that can be really messy, but it's a mess worth making. You know, sometimes when well, my kids love to paint, Levi's a little artist, and um, we got them this painting stuff for Christmas one time or birthday or just because, I don't really remember, but he has this little canvas and there's paint and he'll paint quite a bit. And he'll come to me and say, Dad, hey, can I paint? And here's my reaction, because I am the opposite of creative, creative or anything like that. I'm just going, oh, why? Like, what? We gotta, you're going to create a mess, then we got to clean up that mess, and then you're not big enough to understand how to clean up right, so i got to clean it up, and I just go, it's just not worth it. Like, are you painting... It's not worth it. Like, a part of me just says, go turn on the TV. Like, it's just one of those moments out of parents where you're just like, I, I don't really want them to spend all day in the front of the TV, but I really just don't want to clean up this mess. It's not really worth it. But for my wife, she, well, just because she's more awesome than I, she would, she would go, this is worth it. This is a mess worth making. And you and I all have a decision to make. Is this a mess worth making? It's having a relationship, knowing, yeah, it's going to take work, and knowing, yeah, that there are going to be spills, and knowing, yeah, that it's going to get messy, and there are moments that tears are going to come, good and bad, and moments that it's just going to be frustrating, and moments where you're going to have conflict and all these things, and you have a choice to go, yeah, this just isn't a mess worth making. But I want to encourage you, and I want to challenge you, that it's, you're reacting that way simply because of sin not just maybe sin in yourself but because of the reality of sin but God has intended for relationships to be healthy and encouraging to one another and and in fact oftentimes relationships are a means to how God changes and works in our lives for his glory. So three conclusions quickly that I want to give us as a way of application. Three things I want to challenge us with based off today's truth. First is this. We must be proactive in our relationships. You must be intentional Biblical relationships don't just happen. They require you to take a step of faith. They require you to make a phone call. They require you to give a text message and say, hey, can we hang out? They require you to take intentionality. So you must be proactive. Just sitting there, they're not going to automatically happen. They require work. Second, not only must we be proactive, but we must prioritize and protect our relationships. What I mean by prioritize and protect, meaning that you and I are busy and it can be real simple for us to just go, man, I, I've, I'm I've too tired, or I've got all these other things. And so we just begin to push people away because we don't prioritize the relationships. Instead, we prioritize something else. And I want to encourage us. Might we see the importance of biblical relationships and how God has created us for them in such a way that we prioritize our time for these type of relationships? We must protect that time by not allowing other things to come in and still that priority. So first, we must be proactive. Second, we must prioritize. And third, we must persevere in these relationships. I've been saying this already, but let me say it again. There will be moments where sin happens in relationships. Give it long enough, you'll both sin against the other at some point. Why? Because we're all a piece of work in the process. But I want to encourage us to flip the Bible, just a page or two, to Ephesians chapter 2 and following Ephesians, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter four, verses two and following says this. Talking about, let me just go to verse one. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, Ephesians four one, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. It's it's a phrase of long suffering. To continue to bear with one another. There are going to be moments where that relationship might be a burden, but allow grace to speak into that relationship. Flipping the page, Paul would continue in Ephesians uh, um, 4, 25 and following. It says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil, Let the thief no longer steal, um, but rather let him labor. That's not the point. We're going to continue to read. Doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Listen to this, verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is as good for building up as fits the occasion so that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption, but let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. He's saying, It's a mess. I recognize that. But your relationship with Jesus was a mess, and he stepped in anyways and showed love to you. So might you, like Christ, step in to that mess and do your best to represent Christ. There will be moments where you'll be the giver of that grace, and there will be moments where you're the receiver of that grace. But we will all find ourselves in both places, but we must persevere. I encourage us, as we pursue biblical relationships, that does not mean that we're not going to have problems in our relationships. But what it does mean is that we will be a people who will be committed to those relationships. will be committed to honor them, to be committed to show grace, but continue to live. And that we would be people who go, you know what? I recognize this relationship is worth it. So even at times that I just want to run away from all relationships because relationships just aren't worth it. I recognize that Jesus has called me and redeemed my relationship with him. Praise be to God and with others. And so as a church, we'll continue to fight to show grace and mercy in our relationships, recognizing that biblical discipleship, this will be what will be argued in the weeks to come, must happen in these types of relationships. And so if we want to continue to grow and be formed by the word of God in discipleship, it's going to happen first and foremost through relationships. This is what Jesus did, and we'll talk about that in the weeks to come. Would you join me now just as we pray? We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is newhopenyc. Our website is newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you and we hope to see you soon.